We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18 today. If you guys want to open there, I'll pray. And I hope I remember to pray for the men and women at the end of the service. <laughs> to mention, there's a good chance I'll forget. But yeah, thank you. Lord, we are so grateful, God, for your great sacrifice for our freedom. Lord, you laid down your life to purchase us uh, unworthy uh, sinful people, Lord, who didn't love you, uh, didn't care, took for granted uh, everything you've done for us, Lord. And we're thankful, God, you initiated your love, that you came and by your Holy Spirit drew us in and drew us to your, drew us to your side by your cords of love, God. I pray today by your Holy Spirit you'd open our ears, give us ears to hear what you would say to us, Lord. There's so much truth in your word, encouragement, challenge, God. I just pray today we're sensitive to it, Lord. Uh, it's alive, and we're thankful to be able to get in it every single week, Lord. Uh, we, 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 we see that it's more necessary than our daily food, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 17, if you remember, David comes on the scene of this 40-day standoff between Israel and the Philistines. And, and David is a faithful shepherd. His dad sends him with food for the army. And he comes and, and his dad wants to know what's going on, probably hearing all kinds of rumors. David shows up and here comes Goliath out into the battlefield. And David brings a perspective and he sees this battle like nobody else sees it. Like Saul doesn't see it. The armies of Israel, even Jonathan this mighty man of valor that we're going to uh, talk about again today. Nobody sees it the way David sees it. David sees it, and the spirit inside of him wells up, and he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? And David wants to go to battle right away, and, but, and, and he's going to go to battle. But before he goes to battle, what David has to battle uh, is something on home turf. David has to fight two more battles before he ever goes to battle. The first battle he has to fight is with his brother. His brother gives him an uppercut and says, listen, David, you're not qualified. You're just a useless shepherd with just a few sheep. You can't do this, David. And I know, and, and secondly, then he says, David, I know your heart. You're evil. Your motive isn't pure here. You're looking for self-gain, self-will. This isn't good, David. Why are you doing this? And David has to uh, remind himself, hey, that's not true. I've been a faithful shepherd over the years. And he is a true shepherd, willing to lay down his life. And he knows his motive is God's glory and God's people. So he gets past his brother, and the next battle he has to face is against Saul. And Saul says, hey, David, you can't do this, right? More discouragement. You can't do this, David. You're just a youth. You're inexperienced. You're not qualified. You're a youth, and this guy has been Delta Force since his youth. This guy is their guy. This is their champion. David, you can't do this. And David has to remind himself, and we do, in God's word. That's why God's given us his word. And he anoints it and empowers it by his Holy Spirit. And it's Holy Spirit, it's living. And David has to remind himself of his past battles. 
and what God has spoken to him. And David tells Saul, listen, I faced some impossible odds before. I faced a lion. I faced a bear. And I, and I rescued lambs out of their mouth. And David's faith not only stirs Saul's faith, he goes out against Goliath and stirs their whole army. And Israel's whole army goes out and, and routs the Philistines. And David cuts off the head of Goliath and he's carrying it around as a trophy. And Saul says, hey, who is this guy? Who is this kid? What's his family? You know, and now he's tax exempt in the land. You know, let's figure out who he is. So we pick up in verse 58 of chapter 17 and Saul says to David, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. And, and that conversation probably didn't end there. And we know that from verse 1 in chapter 18. It says, And when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan probably knew something about David, probably heard him playing in his father's court, you know, soothing this, uh, this spirit, the evil spirit that comes on Saul. And he's probably met David before, but now he witnesses this battle against Goliath. And then he hears him talking to his father, and instantly they're knit together. It's, it's deeper than blood. Uh, it's, it's by their souls are knit together. And, and these guys are inseparable, cut from the same cloth. We see Jonathan has the same exact spirit. Jonathan goes out to battle in chapter 13 and 14, does the same thing. Jonathan goes out, sees the Philistines taking ground, gaining territory in Israel, and Jonathan won't stand for it. And he gets the troops together and, and goes to war. He attacks the Philistines, and then he, and then he goes to war with just his armor bearer. And, and routes the Philistines. And Jonathan sees David as this guy that, I, I wouldn't just go into business with David. This is a guy I want to serve with. This is a guy who loves the Lord the same as me. And they have the same mind, the same heart, the same vision. This is something Jonathan doesn't have with his very own father. The relationship he has with David is closer than what he has with his father. His father sees God's word as optional. David sees it as not optional, that, it's, that's, that he has to do God's word, right? And, and so Jonathan just loves this guy. And, and that's, you know, when you get saved, if, you know, hopefully, you know, most people, everybody's here is saved today. I'm not going to take that for granted that, to think everyone here is saved. But when you do get saved, your mind changes, your thoughts change, your vision changes, right? I, you know, your whole, you, you, you are walking through life and you have friends, acquaintances, people you do things with, hang out with, go out with. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're, you get saved. I got saved, and I remember, what in the world? Nobody thinks like me. To, like, everybody, it was like you try to talk to someone, and you're like, this person, they're not thinking the way I'm thinking. I'm thinking eternally. I'm looking at people as souls. I'm looking in, at my life at, like I want to walk with the Lord and please Him and, and grow. And people are like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to church? 
yeah, I'm going to church, yeah, and I share with people, but, but all of a sudden, what I had with people, I no longer had. And, and, you know, that's what Jonathan senses here with David. He has this close fellowship with this guy, you know, this bravery, this faith, and Jonathan just loves him. He loved him as his own soul, and, and they become very close. And, and the word I was looking for was essential. David sees God's word as essential, right? Not optional. Left my mind for a second. That happens. Um, and you probably noticed it in your life. You know, you grow up in your family, and if you don't grow up in a Christian home and you get saved, all of a sudden the people in, in church, the people that are, that are saved around you, they're born again, you know, they want to walk with the Lord, all of a sudden you're closer with them than you are your own family, maybe a mom, a dad, brothers, sisters, uh, because that relationship that you have now with people is eternal. It touches something beyond your bank account and what you do on a Saturday. It's your whole life. It's your destiny. And you want to find people that are heading in the same direction as you to go shoulder to shoulder with. I remember when I got saved, it was like immediately, I wanted to get married, number one. But uh, I also wanted to find friends who thought like me. Like, who's out there? And God slowly began to bring people into my life that, that we could go shoulder to shoulder together with and walk together with. And we had the same vision together. And that's what God does. He brings, if, you, if you don't know that relationship yet, that's one you need to seek out. It's designed, ordained by God. Friends like that, right? The Bible says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so a, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Like you're meant to sharpen one another, to keep each other usable, and hone each other, right? There's nothing worse than a dull knife. If you've had to ever work with knives, cutting in the kitchen, if you've ever had to process deer, uh, you don't want to work with a dull knife. It's the worst. You'll end up cutting yourself. It takes three times as long. Uh, and, and, but a, a sharp knife, man, it's super effective. And that's what God's design. And you might not have 20 friends that you're sharpening, but there's one, maybe two, people in your life that, man, three, that you're just in tune with, that you love as your own soul, that you think like, and you're just sharpening each other. It's important. The Bible says, Solomon also says, two are better than one, right? So at first, when I first got saved, it was just me. I just, you know, was walking, trying to go to church, like, Lord, who else is going in this direction my, that, I, that, I, that thinks like me? And, and that was good for a time. And sometimes God ordains that. That's what was Paul the Apostle. If you read Galatians chapter 1, he was in the Arabian desert for three years, just him and the Lord. And that's, God ordains that, just you and him. And you, and you go deep in your roots with the Lord, and you're walking with him, but you need to be looking for a friend. It could be your wife. That's why the Bible says, you know, one of the reasons Paul says in Corinthians not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Right? You know, number one, an unbeliever, you're definitely not going in the same direction. If they're going this way, you're going this way, and you find in your relationship, you guys are going, walking this way. 
You're not, it's hard to ever get close. You're going in two different directions. That's why you're supposed to be yoked together. Man, you're tied together. You're going in the same direction, the same vision, the same goals. I think unequally yoked together. I think, you know, just because there's two believers, you can still be going in two directions. Your heart is to serve the Lord. You're both saved. One heart is to serve the Lord, to give your life to him. Lord, whatever it is, here's my life. It's a living sacrifice. Take it. Then the other person's like, yeah, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but let's, you know, and and their mind, their heart is just consumed with the things of the world, the things of this life, and it's choking out the word. You could be unequally yoked that way, too. You gotta be careful. Single people, be careful who you choose, right? And the direction you're going. You gotta be careful. So David and Jonathan, their soul is knit together. It's eternal. And David is an amazing guy. And, and David's friends, I think I mentioned it last week, as David gets friends around him, as Saul is really out to get him, and David has to flee from Saul, all these guys that come around David become his mighty men of valor. They're just regular guys, discouraged, downcast, you know, just, you know, and they, they get around David, and these guys are his mighty men. They become giant killers. That's David's friendship with men. He inspires them and sharpens them, encourages them. That's who you want to be around. And David had guys like Samuel in his life. Encouragements. David had Jonathans, men of faith, men of valor, men who were willing to fight, to lay down their life. Matt, David also had Nathan's, Nathan the prophet. You remember Nathan, 2 Samuel. Nathan was a guy that, you know, David would share his heart with. Man, I want to I build God a house. I want to I serve him. What's the next thing we can do? Nathan's like, do whatever's in your heart. That's a great idea, great vision. Do that. And then all of a sudden, David sins, and Nathan's that same guy who has to come to David and say, David... Wake up. Dangerous place to go to the king and say, hey, you messed up, dude. David could have killed him, but he doesn't. He repent. Those friends you need in your life, people that are willing to tell you the hard truth, tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You need people like that. And David has that. In guys, he has it in Jonathan, he has it in Samuel, he has it in Nathan and other men in his life. You need to find people that are heading in the same direction that you can get sharpened, that you can get encouraged, and that you can be encouraging other people. You need to be asking God, who is that in my life? You should ask yourself now, who do I have in my life that sharpens me, that encourages me? And then verse 2 says this, Saul took him that day and wouldn't let him go to his father's house anymore. Now Saul doesn't let him go. You know, uh, uh, Saul has no idea that David is the next king. Saul grabs him and says, man, this guy is going to secure my position. Saul's a taker. We're going to see that Jonathan is a giver. Saul is a taker. You're going to benefit me, I'll take you. I'll take you, I'll take you. 
Jonathan, we're going to see in verse 4, he recognizes David's kingship, and he gives him his robe, his belt, his armor, his sword. He gives him everything, right? But, but Saul, and this is God's providence. Saul brings him into his army. He says, I'm not letting you go. This is, you know, I need you, David. And, and you know, I, I think it's funny because God works supernaturally. Sometimes you don't see, you know, you're wondering, God, how are you going to work this out? What are you going to do? And he works supernaturally. Saul doesn't know what he's doing. It's interesting. You look at Paul's life, just thinking about David and what, what's going through his mind. You, you remember Paul in Acts chapter 20, he, it's his you know, final discourse to the Ephesian elders, and he tells them, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit has witnessed in every city that bonds and afflictions await me there. I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I know what's coming. It's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be very hard to serve the Lord there. It's going to be very difficult, and Paul knew what was coming, and people, Agabus, people, different people warned him, Paul, if you go there, you're going to be in big trouble. People aren't going to like you in Jerusalem. Paul's like, I got to go. But he knew what was coming. David, on the other hand, David's probably thinking, Lord, I see what you, I cracked the code. Lord, I see what you're doing here. This is amazing, right? I understand what you're doing because Samuel anoints me as the next king of Israel. I fight Goliath. I'm just going to bring you know, food to these guys, and all of a sudden I fight Goliath. Saul loves me. Jonathan loves me. You know, the army's going to love him. The people are going to love him. And David's probably thinking, Lord, you are working. This is super easy. This is amazing. I can't believe how you're working this all out. What a, what, this is providence, right? He has no idea that it's all going to change in one day, that that. that Saul is going to try to kill him for the next 12 years. Verse 5, his relationship with Saul changes for 10 to 12 years. And Saul is going to be out to kill him that whole time. And, and sometimes, you know, that's the way it can be with us. We think, oh man, I see, Lord, I see what you got mapped out for my life. This is an easy plan. This is an easy path. You know, I, you know Lord, actually, I don't even need you now because I see the next step, the next step. And, but that wasn't the case for David. He actually had to stay cling to the Lord. He became the sweet psalmist of Israel because of what's Dave, what Saul's doing to him. He just has no other alternative but to cling to God because Saul is after him. And we're going to see he's inspired by the devil uh, and, and, and this evil spirit, maybe not a devil, but an, an evil spirit is coming upon him. And this is, this is really David's seminary what's happening. This is David's growth time. Verse 3 says, and Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan loved David the way he loved himself. That's a lot of love, right? Uh, Because people generally love themselves, right? You wake up in the morning, you're not thinking of other people generally. You're thinking of yourself, what you're going to do today, you know, when I'm going to shower, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to... That's why the Bible says, husbands, love your wives the way you love yourself, right? It also says, love your 
wives, husbands, the way Jesus loves his church, which is more than that. Uh, but you're no, at least lo- love your wife the way you love yourself, the way you think about yourself, the way you take so much thought. And it says that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And they made a covenant. And that covenant you see in chapter 20 and chapter 23, that number one, David was from here on out uh, going to have give the house of Saul favor. And number two, that, that Jonathan was going to be by David's side always. Promise me that, that I'll be right by your side, right? And because of Saul's rebellion, disobedience, that's never realized. David does show favor to the house of, uh, of Saul. He'll always do that. He'll keep that promise. But because of, because of Saul's disobedience, Jonathan and David's, their relationship gets severed. And it's not what it, what it uh, could have been and should have been. And the oath, you know, Jonathan took off his robe that was on him, gave it to David, David with his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. And, and you know, if you have kids, I don't know, you know, maybe he wore it uh, and wore it in front of Saul. And Saul's like, what are you doing with Jonathan's armor? I don't, maybe he wore it once and gave it back. I don't know, maybe he kept it. I, I would doubt it, but maybe he wore it once. And if you've got kids, uh, you know, you've probably seen other kids walk by and you're like, wait a second, didn't I buy that? Like, you're wearing, I bought that sweatshirt or I bought those pants, I bought, you know, and that's what Saul probably thought. Wait a second, isn't that the robe I gave my son? That's my son's robe. That's his sword, his armor, right? But that's the covenant. He made Jonathan recognize, I'm not the next king of Israel. You are David. And he gives him his armor, his, his, his weapons, his belt, his robe, gave him everything. That was the covenant they made. That was the seal of it. And it, he just loved them. And it says this in verse 5, that David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, that David is just faithful. And it says that he behaved himself wisely and Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So he's gaining favor. He's just, but David's just faithful. And look what happens. It says, now it happened as they were coming home that David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines and the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments and so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. What a, that's a great compliment, right? But then they said, David has slain his ten thousands. And this is a number one hit in Israel, right? You've probably heard that before. This is like they're coming through and women are coming out and Saul's probably thinking, wow, this is amazing. And they're singing and dancing. And then here's the, the lyrics, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? That's, that doesn't bode well for an egotistical maniac that's paranoid, uh, worried about his kingdom and being a king. And so Saul was very angry, verse 8. And the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Turn to Matthew 25 with me for just one minute. David was just faithful. He was a faithful shepherd to his father, 
And now he's a faithful soldier in Saul's army. He's, he is doing Saul's bidding. Whatever he wants. And that's what God's called us to do. Whatever you're doing, he's called you to be faithful. He's called me to be faithful. It says, the kingdom of heaven, verse 14, is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and each one according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And then he who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who received two gained two more. But he who received one went and dug in, dug in the ground and, his, and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And so he who received five talents came and brought another five, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? That, that's what God's looking for, faithfulness, goodness. These are, these are God's talents that he's giving to these guys. These are this, this, the Lord's talents. And he says, you've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over just a few things. And I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. God has given you a few things. Sometimes we take on more than God's given us, and we think we have to fix everything. But there's some things that we need to be faithful with, good stewards of, right? You may never speak at a Harvest Crusade or own a Fortune 500 company, right? But guess what? A lot of people here are moms and dads, husbands and wives, and you're going to stand before the Lord someday, and, and God's going to say, what would you do with the talents I gave you? How were you as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, as an employer? What did you do? Right? I'm giving you a few things. You don't want to miss out. You don't want to not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Because that's all God's called us to be, just servants. Lord, what do you want me to do? That was Paul, uh, Paul the apostle when he was Saul of Tarsus on that road to Damascus. The Lord meets him. He's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I've been living my life, walking in this direction. I see it's wrong. Now what do you have for my life? Change me. Change my thoughts, my mind, my perspective, because I want to go in the direction you have for my life. He recognizes it's, it's wrong. God's called us to be faithful. And Saul is incensed with jealousy. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2 from Matthew. There's a cure for jealousy. Solomon said that, that, uh, that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. It's, 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 it's unmerciful. 
it comes out of nowhere sometimes. And it wells up inside people. And Saul comes off this amazing victory. He's killed, you know, thousands. He's routed the Philistines. But somebody said that David killed 10,000. And he's incensed. He's angry. What? Who are these people? It says this in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. And he's talking about Christians here. Verse 1, he says, If there's any consolation in Christ, have you been comforted by Jesus Christ? You're a Christian. If there's any comfort of love, God's love in your life, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, right? Yeah, you can raise your hand to that if you're a Christian here. You've experienced that. He says, okay, then fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let, let each esteem others better than himself. It's okay if David got the accolades. But David wasn't looking for accolades. David was looking to please his master, Saul. And let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Man, how can I bless you? How can I serve you? Unfortunately, we wake up in the morning, we're thinking, what people, and that's Saul's attitude, what can this guy do for me? What can David do for me? And Jonathan just wanted to give. He had an attitude of giving, loving, serving. Saul, angry. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, because he was God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, like that, that's bad enough, God becoming man, then he humbles himself even more and becomes obedient, to the point of death, even the death of the cross, right? That's our life. Lord, I just want to love you. I want to serve other people. I want to esteem other people better than myself. If you don't, jealousy is as cruel as the grave, right? It'll take you down. And it's taking Saul down right here. It's taking him out. And then it says this in verse 10, it happened on the next day. So Saul's angry. It happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. So, you know, God sends this spirit again. It's a distressing spirit. Now it, it has all these characteristics that it had before, but now it's also ang very angry. And it says that he prophesied inside the house. <laughs> that just means he, he spoke under inspiration. It wasn't that he was prophesying under the inspiration of God. Now he's speaking under the inspiration and influence of this evil spirit. Like that is inspiring him. That is empowering him. He has given himself over to this evil spirit now. If you remember back in chapter 16, that's why, they, that's why David first came on the scene. He was the guy 
that played in, in the court of Saul. And when he played in the court, the evil spirit comforted him and soothed Saul, and then it would depart. And we're going to see that doesn't happen anymore because Saul is giving himself over to the influence of this spirit. It's gaining ground in his heart and in his life, hatred and jealousy, and it's quenching God's spirit. In verse 11, it says, And Saul cast a spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Saul cast a spear, right? He, what do I have in my hand? I'm going to kill this guy, right? He sees a spear and he chucks it at him, sticks the spear in the wall. We can weaponize what's in our hand. It might just be your hand. It might be a fist. A lot of times what we weaponize these days is your phone, an app, Facebook. That becomes your, uh, the weapon of choice for people. And we, and we hurl spears at people, try to stick them to the wall. Because it's not the spirit of God influencing life anymore. It's this evil spirit. And it says he did it two times. David escaped his presence twice. This is not changing. The first time he probably apologized. I'm so sorry. I did that. I can't believe I acted that way. That's not like me. Well, yeah, it is, Saul. It's exactly who you are. It's exactly who you are. It's exactly how you're act- what you're acting. How you're acting is exactly who you are. Right? And it's his habitual behavior. And the problem with Saul is that they try to soothe this spirit with with worship. Rather than saying, Saul, you know what? You need to repent, man. You need to change. You need to change. And they're just trying to make him feel better as a king, but they're not helping the situation. It's, It's not helping Saul change. Says this in verse 13 Saul was afraid of David. Verse 12, I mean, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he departed from Saul. Man, that's not good, right? He departs from Saul, he's with David, and Saul's afraid. And therefore, Saul removes him from his presence and made him the captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Probably a demotion. Probably hoping to send David out to his death. We're going to see that that becomes his heart. Like, I'm just going to send David out. Hopefully he dies in this battle. Hopefully he dies in this battle. If I can't pin him to the wall, I'm going to, I'm going to make the odds unfair and uneven for David. Maybe he'll die in battle. Right? The power in people's lives to... to to, to give you a demotion by what they say to you or what they're doing to you, hoping it will hurt you and kill you. Scheming. This guy has a doctorate in, in manipulation. Saul. But it says, verse 14, David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Uh, that doesn't change. God's our defense. God's your defense. If you're doing what's right, God's your defense. Doesn't matter what people think, right? David behaved himself wisely 
in all his ways, and, and the Lord was with him. David did what was right, and the Lord was behind that. Right? Paul, Paul, Paul experienced that in 2 Timothy. Finally, he says, man, everyone forsook me. And, but he's got a heart. He's like, but don't lay that to their charge. Saul was the guy that saw, saw Stephen stoned to death. He gave his vote for Stephen to, to die, to get stoned. And Stephen's standing there, and, and Stephen says the same thing, you know, basically, you know, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Father, forgive them, right? He doesn't blast them or hurl accusations at them. Stephen's heart was forgiven, and, and, and Saul is holding the coats of the men who are stoning Stephen, and Stephen's like, Lord, just forgive these guys. They don't know what they're doing. Saul's sitting there watching, probably on the road to Damascus, his next step. That's churning through his mind. Who is this guy? We just killed. I don't understand how he said that right before he died. But then Paul says it. Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Everyone's forsaking me. Right? And then he says, but the Lord stood with me. God stood with me. He's on my side. Right? You can know that. Are you doing the right thing? Be confident in that fact. Therefore, when Saul saw that he had behaved very wisely, he was even more afraid of him. And all Israel and Judah, they loved David because he went out and came in before them. Man, what, he was a faithful guy. He was not a threat. And Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And so David said to Saul, who am I that my life or my father's family in Israel... What is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? Like David's like, oh. you know, and that was a promise of Saul. Whoever killed Goliath would become a son-in-law. And, 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 but, but David doesn't think like Saul. Look what he does here. And, and it happened when, when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, as wife. Like, what? What? And that's Saul's nature. He says one thing and does something else. He goes back and forth and back and forth. He's a double-minded man. You, can't, you don't know which direction he's going, what he's going to say, if he's going to keep his word, and he doesn't, but it's all preparation. You know, I look at my kids. When they go through things, there are things that I think, man, that's hard or that's tough, friendships, you know, not terrible things, but things. And, and it's like it's all preparation for the future. It's all God's preparation for a heart for what God is doing in a life. And what you're going through today, what I'm going through today, it's all preparation for the future. It's all God preparing you and preparing me for what he has. And this was preparation for David. Paul, at the end of his life, will say, I've run the race and I finished my course. I've done what you've asked me to do, God. He's not looking for a pat on the back or his name in lights. David, or, uh, Paul was looking for a crown that the Lord was going to give him. Preparation. And Paul went through so much, tons of difficulties. And then it says, verse 20, Now Michael, Saul's, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. 
So Saul said, I will give her to him that she might be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, hey, you want to be my son-in-law, right? This guy is nuts, right? He wants to use his daughter so, he can, so it's easier to kill David. Like, okay, take, take this one then. And going out of his way, the guy is insane. And Saul commands his servants, communicate with David secretly. So he sends his minions and say, look, the king is delight in you and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David says, does it seem a light Seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing I'm poor and lightly esteemed man? He's saying, I don't have a dowry. I don't have what it would take to be a king's son-in-law, right? And I like that culture, especially if you have daughters. Dowries are good. I prefer that. It's the culture I live in. I choose. Man, Ian, you still owe me. When we were in Africa, we'd meet young men there, and that was their, that's their culture. And we talk to guys, yeah, I'm getting engaged, or I want to get engaged, but I have to come up with 50 cows. Is there any way you can help me? Can you buy one? You know, like everyone, you know, you, you talk to them, they're like, can you get me a cow? Is, is there any way you can help me out here? Right? That's, that, that's their culture. Like to, for me to get married... I don't know how, if they just wanted money, or if that's really what they do, but a lot of them talked about it. And so the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. So he has no dowry. He doesn't have anything to give you. And, and Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Like, what are you thinking now? Like, okay, that's an awkward request. Um, you're only getting those by killing someone, and Philistines definitely have them. They're uncircumcised Philistines. And so, verse 26, so when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law, and now the day had not even expired. It was still the same day. Therefore, David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. So double that. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king. Like 200. Somebody had to count them. Uh, and Weird that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. And thus saw, Saul saw the, the, and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was even more afraid of David. And so Saul became David's enemy continually. Didn't have to be that way, did it? They didn't have to be enemies. Like they were both heading in the same direction. And the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Right? Uh, you know, David is growing in a harsh environment. He's being equipped for future ministry 
The Lord's using it to make a man. Alan Redpath said this, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. We grow in adversity. We grow in adversity. We become stronger through adversity. When I was doing flooring uh, before I was a pastor, I remember I would sell hardwood, and, and their marketing strategy was wood grows the strongest in the harshest conditions, right? So there was this whole line of hardwood that came from like northern Canada, and, and I would sell a lot of it because, you know, their, their theme was it grew better, grew harder. I don't know if that was true, but I was using the marketing scheme too a little bit. Uh, but it's true. We grow in adversity. You're going to grow in adversity. When things are easy, you're not growing. A lot of times you're just floating downstream. But when you got to fight against the current of the world and culture and battles that you're facing, you become strong. You're going to the gym every day. And you need to. And you are where you are today because God wants to grow you, because he wants to use you. He's not done with you, and he's on your side. He cares for you. He cared for David. David thought something else. He looked at his future differently. I'm a king's kid. I'm set up. I'm going to be the next king. He probably thought, man, I'm all set up to, to step into the, the, the throne, on the throne. But it wasn't what he expected or the way he expected it. And sometimes that's what life throws you a curveball, and it's not what you expect. It doesn't look like what you've mapped out in your head or in your mind. And what are you going to do? Give up or keep going? The Lord wants you to keep going. He's going to, one day, you're going to stand before him with the talents he's given you and say, what have you done? And you're going to give an account with the few things he's given you to do. Just a couple, to be faithful with a few things, if we can be faithful with that. Lord, we're, we're thankful for your word. We want to be faithful, Lord. Your word tells us uh, that we need your power to accomplish your will, to be who you've called us to be, Lord. It's not by might or power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. We're asking you, Lord, by your spirit to equip us, to empower us, Lord, that we be uh, all that we need to be, Lord, to finish well, that we can say like, for, like Paul, uh, I've run the race and I've finished my course. And we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our desire, Lord. Our life is a vapor. It's going to be over so soon. You're going to be coming back so soon, Lord. Uh, we just give you our lives. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name.